Welcome to the Music Maker Podcast. This is where we dive deep into the art of music creation, discussing the intricacies of music production, mindset, and the music industry, while connecting you with your favorite artists in order to help you on your own musical journey. I'm your host, Flash89. Let's get into it. Yo, what is up? Welcome to episode 15 of the Music Maker Podcast. Our guest this episode is both DJ and an MC with up to 16 years of experience in the music scene. He's based in Adelaide. He's currently a resident at Cherry Nightclub and 2KW. He's performed at festivals such as Stereosonic, Future Music, Summer Days, and Field Trip, while supporting artists such as Timmy Trumpet, Will Sparks, Hot Dub Time Machine, and Marlo. In addition to working as the talent, he has plenty of experience booking the talent as he's been the entertainment coordinator for Schoolies Festival for the last 13 years. He's also the entertainment coordinator for Cherry Nightclub, and he was an official judge for the annual Your Shot DJ competition in Adelaide. He plays under the stage name Manoff. We actually go way back as we um, we started early in my career as a resident DJ at Red Square Nightclub. We worked together where I could always count on him to work the crowd as one of the most reliable MCs I've ever worked with. In addition to this, he's an absolute legend. Dylan Manov, welcome to the Music Maker Podcast. Hey, man, thanks so much for having me. Still making me feel and look good after all these years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, obviously, I was reflecting on like, you know, when we first like met, I guess, actually, and um, some good times at Red Square, man. Yeah, they, they just announced yesterday, too, that they're going to be closing down after 22 years. So That's insane. Yeah, a lot of changes happening in the Adelaide scene here at the moment. A lot of, you know, changing of the old guard, old yeah. clubs dying, new ones popping up. So exciting times, but, yeah, bittersweet as well. We uh, had a lot of good times, you and me, at uh, Red Square over the years, and then also uh, over at HQ when we were both worked yeah. together there, overlapping for a short stint as well. It was uh, oh, a good 100%. time. Actually, yeah, I forgot about HQ. Yeah, that was so good. Yeah. Like, and like I said, you you were one of the most reliable MCs to work with. I think we, I don't know I, whether it was like the the chemistry, the bromance or whatever, but I, I don't know, <laughs> like I could always count on you to like um, pick up the crowd when I needed or mm. if I think we understood the records we were working with. It was really cool. I was reflecting on that. Yeah, I um for for the longest time, uh, you know, I started as a DJ, but then also, you know, trying to break into the scene, couldn't get much work in the actual clubs in Hindley Street. Mm. Uh, so the way that I broke in was emceeing. So I mm. stumbled into emceeing as just a way of getting extra work. So mm. in doing that, you know, I've got an appreciation being a DJ of picking the right spots, where to jump in, where not to jump in as well, yeah. the do's and don'ts of emceeing and just hosting the night. So we had a really good time together over the years and I, you know, everywhere that I work and MC, I try to do something that's a little bit different to what, you know, maybe is the stock standard. But mm. ultimately, my job as an MC is to just make the DJ look good and take the pressure off the DJ and cover them when they need to be covered or elevate what they're doing so that mm. you know, the vibe is as best as it can be in the club. Yeah, and like for those that don't maybe aren't familiar with the MC, you kind of sort of mentioned it there on your role, but you are, you know, you're the man on the mic, master of ceremonies, right? And mm. um, you're basically doing vocals through through the night, trying to. How would you explain it, like in your point of view? Yeah, it's it's certainly not depending on where the listeners are tuning in from around the world. MCs in clubs are not super prominent everywhere you know yeah. you've got many yeah. clubs around the world where it's just purely a dj or producer presentation mm. so 
they're certainly big here in Australia, just depending on what state as well. Uh, mm. Here in Adelaide, where I'm based, um, it is quite prominent. And my role mainly is I'm I'm the host of the dance floor, basically. So yeah, I'm in the yeah. booth with the DJ, adding uh, vocally on top of the music, but not taking away from it. My job there is to almost like a, uh, you know, <laughs> like a backup singer in many ways, mm. uh, that I'm just there to add to what's going on, create a little bit extra hype, bring it up to where it needs to bring it up, but then also bring, bring people into the experience by, you know, doing things like birthday shout-outs or engaging the crowd or just mm. little things can that can make people feel like their clubbing experience is a little bit more personalised yeah. and um, inclusive. That's what I try to do anyway. No, and you, were, you nailed it, man, because, like, I remember, you know, when I used to listen to some MCs, sometimes as a punter you're just like, shut up like to some, <laughs> some not you to just to some from my experience where you're just like they're either talking at the wrong time or mm. you know yada yada and um the one thing i noticed when we worked together and why i mentioned at the start that it was it worked really well was because you just you know you seem to have that really good understanding of like when to talk when not to talk how to amplify moments how to and even in moments where like maybe i even when i was mixing or something and something went wrong I'll be like, you'd yeah. manage to like get me out of trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, I to be fair, yeah. I don't think I've I've heard a mix that's even ten percent out from you in my your oh, entire you, career that I worked with you. But I yeah, that. I mean that's that's part of the job, right? And that's part yeah. of being being a DJ. I can sort of I can see. All right, you're mixing out this 20 seconds here of non-vocal. That's where I can do some shout outs or promote mm. drink special or birthday mm. or a booth. Yep. or something along those lines mm. with the club's key messaging. But it's a delicate balance because, like yeah. you said, there's, there's some people around and everybody's different at what they do. They've got different skill sets. Yeah. Some people go a little bit hard in the paint in making the performance about them and the DJs behind them. You know, yeah. the the in my opinion anyway, the best type of MC is where you're a team together and mm. when I need to cover your butt, if it's for a mix, uh, if I'm, you know, trying to find little bits in between the vocal where I can do some, you know, over-the-top activity, it being a DJ really helps that because, you know, I'm counting bars at the same time you are with your mixing, mm, mm. but I'm looking to find a part, you know, at the end of the bar to just put a little bit of hype or you're just pick and choose what points I want to add in because, like, mm. you're exactly right we said. If you if you just, you know, talking like a headless chook, yeah. Um, Everybody in the crowd is just going to go, mate, I'm here for the music. I'm not here for you to yeah. just be running your mouth. No, it's awesome, bro. It's cool. Mm. Um, and you mentioned at the start, uh, at the start of the show briefly, that obviously there's um, a bit of a shift. And I'm, I'm actually quite curious on this in the Adelaide music scene because I'm mm. obviously based on the Gold Coast now, so I don't see a lot of the movement with the Adelaide scene. But you mentioned that obviously Red Square, which has been around for like 20, 20 plus years, is um is closing its doors and um so there's obviously a bit of a shift and you've worked at you know all over the shop in adelaide and for a long time so can you can elaborate a bit on like where you see the music scene going in that sense uh i could speak to the sa music scene um yeah. in the larger sense around the country you know there's a there's a lot of clubs that are shutting down you see them in melbourne sydney mm. uh, a lot of people are shutting their doors in relation to adelaide i think uh there's certainly we're going through post-COVID um, a restart of what clubbing is for many people. You know, for 
the glory days of the the you know early 2010s EDM boom that mm -hmm. you know festivals festival culture here in Australia yeah you know, nightclubs super clubs HQ and the like were just you know that was your weekend you know that mm. was what you you worked all week to have your disposable income to go out clubbing and you know go to HQ with the big production spend the money to see the big acts on the big stages mm. uh going into COVID um and I, I really think we're only just starting to see the onset effects of COVID what that's actually had um, yeah. in a larger sense for the industry as a whole because if you imagine going into COVID, you had a period of months there, whether it's nine months, 12 months in SA, we had a lot of restrictions, even when we did resume clubbing of quarter capacity, half capacity, sitting down, if yeah. you can remember that. Well, um, I was in London when that happened and I was like hearing about how you guys are doing that sort of stuff. And I was like, what? yeah, it was a very slow resumption of uh the industry as a whole. And that mm. really put a strangle on many clubs, uh, even operationally when we open back up because you know non-operating through COVID mm. you're assuming debt during that period because we're not trading so when it did open back up you also had clubs that took on that debt the loss of income those you know loss of future planning everything and in between yeah and then parallel to that you've got that next generation in my opinion, of clubber who turned 18, who normally would go out and then see all of the big pack clubs, they'd see the music culture and what's being played in those venues, and they'd sort of be indoctrinated and saying, okay, this is what clubbing is. Yeah. Uh, mm. Now, during that period of COVID where the clubs are all shut, they go to TikTok, they go to Spotify, they have their own, you know, Zoom parties, et cetera, mm. where their music tastes change. So what we're finding now what I see is certainly in clubs is there's two frames of thinking of what is current in music. You've got clubs like Cherry, where I run the roster there, where it's super commercial. So we're playing, you know, very female focused pop, commercial R&B, hip hop. Uh, we're still doing, you know, some tech house, but it's a commercial tech house, you yeah. know, like if you show your Fred against, et cetera. It's yeah. very much, um, easily digestible party tunes yeah there's a lot of success particularly in the scene and that's been replicated at other clubs as well uh the other side of the coin is you've got that resurgence which um some venues like ec electric circus here and i like will always be a, you know a household name of success in what their presentation and what they do with jake and the team there mm. so that sort of um like when you had Mike Wells on yep. um, previously had a great episode where he talked a little bit to uh, that other type of music appeal here in Adelaide. So there's those yeah. two sides of the coin of that uh, more cutting edge, you know, tech house, hyper techno, UK yep. garage side of things as well. Mm. Where the venues are changing is typically in Adelaide, we were very uh, forward looking to what was happening in Melbourne. So yeah. what was successful in Melbourne was replicated here in Adelaide. So yeah, you know, Red Square was built on, you know, Electro House and then Melbourne Bounce and then yeah. that turned into Minimal, Melbourne Minimal yeah. and then more techno. But what an 18-year-old in 2024 likes in SA largely is not parallel to those music tastes. 
Yep. So that's where you see venues like we've, we've had, you know, along with Reds closing, you've had Pre-Saint, uh, Wonderland, Fat Controller, uh, Dog and Ducks just closed. Yeah, and these have um, been around for years, like Fat yeah, Controller so, and then Dog and Duck. Like when yeah, I started yeah. clubbing, Dog and Duck was, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's the way it goes. Fortunately, we've gone through a period now where all of these, you know, major clubs and major brands that have been around and really make up what the scene is, a lot of them are falling to the wayside, which is good in a way because it opens up opportunity for new clubs, new new places to go, new renovated premises to bring a bit of life back to the city. But it's a weird time at the moment. And I I still think as a whole, everybody's trying to figure that out and navigate through that process of say, how do we make money? How do we be viable? How do we connect with the 18 to 24 year old of tomorrow? Mm. Yeah. Uh, And keeping to the values of what makes venues successful. Yeah, most definitely. Mm. It's almost like a bit naive to think i don't know like me in a way was like oh cool you know like covid's over and you know now we're moving on but like you said there's like that kind of um uh what's the word like it's only we're only just feeling the effects now like to some extent like there was obviously the the first moment but now it's sort of dragging on you know yeah the the covid hangover (laughs) yeah for lack of a better term i think um you know, many people probably came out of COVID of, of various ages who had established a clubbing culture who might have gone out a minimum one night a week, uh, who probably came out of COVID thinking like, okay, I'm not going to take up, um, you know, a hobby, you know, martial arts or fitness or, uh, you know, some other sort of community gathering um, mm. where that is giving them the same fulfilment without, you know, spending you know, $200 on a weekend because that's also a large part of it is, you know, things are more expensive than they've ever been for people. That, yeah, that's So right. yeah, somebody right. who's, you know, a 20-year-old that's going to uni might not have the income to be going out every weekend and spending, you know, $20 on a vodka Red Bull. Do you know what I mean? No, 100%. And especially yeah. that point of like, I think Mike touched on it and you touched on it as well, um, of like, you know, when you turn 18, the traditional way would be, all right, we'll go, you know, everyone says go to town, so I'll go to town and see what that's about. And then you either like it or you don't. Like, I personally didn't like it when I first went, but then I went to a festival. I was like, wow, this is crazy. And I became, you know, infatuated with it. But a lot of people haven't had an opportunity to even have a crack at the first part. Yeah. I mean, even when I turned 18, like I had the the irony of being a DJ in the city is I had no interest in going to the city. So I was very much grab my mates and we'll have some band practice and then we'll Mm. go, you know, get a cart and a pale ale and then we'll go into, you know, more of a suburban pub in our area. Mm. So that might be a similar sort of thing where people are, you know, wanting to be a little bit closer to home, maybe, um, you know, just not have that big town experience where they need to spend a $60 taxi at the end or Uber to get home. Yeah, and, totally. You know, rinse their week's wage in one night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, 100%, man. True that. Mm. And well, how, what's your sort of background? Like You touched on it just there, like kind of like how you sort of started. What prompted you to get into it? Because you've done a lot in the music scene and you've been quite diverse, which we will talk about. But you know, like what was it that sort of got you into, I want to start DJing or I want to be an Mm. MC? You mentioned it before, but. Yeah, sure. So I, my original background was a drummer 
So I did percussion yeah. and drumming throughout yeah. high school, which, yeah. you know, it was was great, you know, early skill set building into DJing because it's all mm. about counting beats. 100%. So to be able to count, you know, four, eight, 16, 32s, that's the mathematic equation for DJing, right? So that's to great. be able to have that in the brain and for us to be able to have a, a conversation and I'm still be able to count in a 32, mm. it did help with picking up DJing really quickly. Not necessarily being good at it, but being able to count the beats. Bro, I was uh, terrible at drums. I was so bad. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I played drums too. Yeah, it's I think yeah, because well, no, I tried to. And the music when when I started in like year ten, um, my music teacher was like looking at me like you're shit. And then like, <laughs> I didn't, and then I didn't really get into music because of that. And then when I was about eighteen, nineteen, I I got into it, but. Yeah, I, I had a similar similar journey throughout high school where, you know, I was too busy, you know, playing video games than practicing yeah. drums. So yeah. I'd yeah. get to the lesson and I'd treat the actual lesson as the practice and it's just not the steps to success yeah. <laughs> doing yeah, yeah, that yeah. approach. But, <laughs> yeah. Good but, so yeah. a bit of a background with drums. Uh, mm-hmm. When I when I turned 18, um, it's when I pretty much decided straight away this is – what I want to do, not necessarily as a full-time job, but as something that could lead into um, potentially a career. Yeah. Uh, my my background, my father, Mick Manov, uh, has been quite prominent in Adelaide here for the last 40 years, but not in necessarily in the DJ scene, but certainly in the music scene. So mm. we had a company here for many years called PM Sound, and we used to uh, manufacture speaker boxes, DJ tables, Mm. Uh, we used to oh, sell cool. CD players, DJ mm. equipment, audio equipment, speaker boxes, mm. venue installations, all of that side of things. But also he used to be involved uh, as a company called um, Larger Than Life Productions with Paul Potter, uh, rest in peace. And they used to put on uh, rave shows in the 90s oh, here wow. and put yeah. on those productions. So I grew up around the scene there. I remember being... I want to say maybe eight years old, going to an event that they were putting on in these abandoned warehouses called Jigsaw 2, uh, mm. where they had all these DJs, flew them over from the UK and, you know, things like having um, these these big uh, PVC see-through plastic sheets hanging from the ceiling with fish and lasers in them and wow. just really, really cool stuff when you could do that back then without having all of the... Um, you know, talk health and safety and the things that are probably important these days. Yeah. So I really grew up around the music scene. And yeah. when I turned 18, uh, because we have the DJ equipment at work and seeing all the DJs coming in, um, I said, look, this is something I really want to do. The difficult thing for me it was just breaking in. So yeah. I was able to cut my teeth by just going along with other wedding DJs and shadowing them as an 18-year-old being their, you know, their child labour that sets up their speaker boxes for them and, you mm. know, um, understanding how a wedding works and playlisting yeah. and meeting with couples. And it was a really valuable experience for me because then you learn the fundamentals of what I think DJing really is, and that's pleasing the people that are either booking you or on the dance floor. Yep. So for many, many years, I couldn't get any club work anywhere. I reckon for the first, oh, I reckon almost five years of my career, at least four, yeah, I wow. was just doing uh, pubs, clubs, corporate, weddings, mm. uh, you know, uh, and, and that is can be real stress. You know, when you're an 18-year-old who yeah. is doing 
a 30-year-old's wedding, you're also battling their preconception of you as you're an 18-year-old, do you actually know what you're doing? So yeah. it, it forces you to upskill yourself to a level very quickly. Yeah. So uh, that's how I got started in the scene. Uh, I was able to break through over time by just consistency and reliability more than anything. You know, if yeah. I got booked to play it somewhere through, you know, Shane Hogan um, from BIE yeah. to play at places like uh, the Alma or um, My Bar or Swish, these sort of pub club places that are on the cusp of a nightclub, but not really. Mm. Uh, it's how you can build up a little bit of credibility in the bank of this person does a good job, they're reliable, um, you know, more opportunities will come from that. And mm. I'm a big believer that that certainly is, if you're somebody that's finding it hard to cut through, to take a step back and reassess what your short-term goals are rather than just going shooting for the long-term straight away. You sure. know, if you're a, if you're a swimmer, for instance, you're not going to come out of the gates and go, right, I want to be in the Olympics. You've got to work up to that point with your skills. And that's the same. There's a lot of people these days that uh, want to go straight for, you know, the top nightclub in town, yeah, but haven't worked up to that point either with the credibility with people around that you're reliable, that your music yeah. collection is solid, that your mixing and skill set is solid, all of those yeah. things, it yeah. all adds up over time, you know? Definitely. Because you, you, what were, you were saying before that, that for you there's quite a few challenges. Can can you elaborate on what some of the challenges were for you at the time? Like yeah. You one of them. But... Yeah, I think, you know, the, the scene DJing, I mean, it doesn't really matter what industry you're in, like it could be you know, bands, opportunities, could be at your job, it could be anything. Mm. It, the ear is the saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know, It's but it's both, yeah. right? It, it is both. It's how well you can network yourself and open those doors is how the game's played in being successful in anything that you do. But yeah. for me, I certainly found early on uh, when I got started, nightclubs and residencies and the dj groups were very clicky yeah and because i'd come from a wedding background and pubs and private functions uh i was typecast in a way as he's a retro party dj yeah he's not the cool dj yeah so you're not going to be transferable to clubs so it was really hard to break in in that sense mm. uh the only way to combat that for me anyway was just head down, keep doing the work, the opportunities will come in time, which they did. Yeah. So it's a it's a lesson um, which even now I try and impart on some young DJs who, you know, they've been DJing for a year and they're maybe frustrated because they don't have a residency yet or they're not working in a top five club in their town. You know, sometimes that takes time. People's journeys yeah. are different. You've got some people who capture lightning in a bottle and, you know, impress the right people and then you're on the rocket ship straight to the top. But for people like myself, it's really just grinding, you know, just mm -hmm. relentless hustle and yeah. uh, keep chipping away, getting better at what you're doing. And then, you know, eventually the right people notice that. Uh, yes. I know even with me these days in my role, you know, running schoolies and cherry, People might not think that I notice, but I keep tabs on everybody in South Australia. 
So whether whether you're working for me or not, like I am looking where people are working, you know, what festivals are you at, what mix, mixes and edit packs and things you're putting out, what relevancy are you keeping in front of the forefront of people? Mm. And when opportunities arise, then I can go, okay, these are the sort of people that I've got on a bit of a short list of the next big thing or mm. not necessarily the next big thing but people that are on the radar and pushing for opportunity yeah that's really interesting actually because mm. yeah, it's, it's it's one of those things man it's with with djing as a whole it's it's such a because it's such a creative outlet everybody's really tied to you know personal success quickly and if i if i'm not pushing for that next opportunity, that next gig, that next residency, that that next meeting, that next breakthrough, that next, you know, signing, recording, agency, whatever it may look like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a difficult thing to um, keep pushing through with. And there's been some great DJs over the years who they're, they're really hot for a couple of years and then they fade away. And that could be because um, it hasn't happened quick enough for them and they've gone, look, I just want to do some other stuff. Yeah. But it really is um, about the long game. It's about longevity and just sticking to it. Um, if that's your ultimate goal, you know, you just got to keep chipping away, keep grinding until those opportunities come over time. Definitely, man. And I like, I think my experience through the DJ scene was very similar to yours. Like, you know, just, it was just about, you know, keeping your head down, focusing on things and, and just, you know, Believe in, without sounding cliche, believe in yourself and what you have to offer. But mm. um, you've just got to keep working at it, and then opportunity from just reflecting on my experience, the opportunities do just kind of start to pop up. And then once it's almost like a compound effect, I guess. Like you have one, and then it will lead into another, and then all of a sudden, it, it kind of like a if you can look at it like a graph, it just kind of goes very sharp up mm. but it's very just slow to get going you know yeah for some and lightning in a bottle was, was a really cool not a not a cool but like a good point that you made because that's a good way to explain how it does work for some people or mm. from some an outsider point of view it, it is right and you know i've talked i talked to a lot of djs and people who you know are knocking on the door and wanting to be a resident at cherry or you mm. know be on the schoolies lineup or you know work here or there and you know, there's certainly um, truth to the fact that you kind of have to be in it to win it. And, yeah. you know, you could be the best DJ in the world, but if you're playing at, you know, a pub 50 k's away, I'm never going to see you play, unfortunately. Mm. And part of being in the front of people and making venues be on the radar is just networking the right ways. So mm. I I never mind if people, you know, slide in the DMs and say, hey, man, I'll pay going. I work here, 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 and here. Mm. But there's certain ways to do that, in my opinion, yep. the right way to yeah. make a positive first impression. You know, like I, I get quite a few messages from DJs that hit me up, and it's always great when I hear from people, particularly if I've never met them before. You know, I always like, you know, at my base, I like networking and meeting and working with new people. Yeah, that's awesome. Yep. There's there's the right ways of doing a cold message to, say, a club promoter or a festival or a venue, and there's the wrong ways. So the mm. right way would be, you know, 
to treat it almost like a first job interview. If you've got, you know, 20 characters to make a first impression, just a positive one, mm. you're going to go, hey, Paul, I'm Manov. Great to meet you, man. I've been DJing for about five years. Uh, these are the places I've worked. Uh, love to drop in the club sometime and introduce myself. Like that to me is a really positive first impression because yeah. what you told me in that first instance, and you could be DJing for four months. You don't have to be, you know, a really established DJ, but what you've proved to me in that short little message is you've first of all had the balls to get out there and introduce yourself to someone you've never met. Yeah. You've highlighted to me your experience, whatever level that might be. So you've given me a baseline of where you're at mm. in a positive way. You've, shown interest in the club by saying i want to come there not just oh. i've never been there but book me yeah and then you've also put some steps in place to try and network in person so these days where you know because we're a digital world you know it's you know even me right sometimes i'm a little bit you know hesitant to get out there and just cold chat to people because yeah. everything's easier over a message but yeah you know Pete Griffiths from Tool Room, who we both know, yeah. is one thing that he was really driving home of if you want to make the right impression and cut through with someone, find time to do it in person. You know, a, a cold message or resonating the first time is great, but set that up to then go there in, in person and make that first stand about, hey, Dill, nice to meet you. Let's have a beer or something like that. I will always chat to people in that sense. Where... Mm -hmm. Where the other side of the coin comes in, where I've in my role these days as a bit more uh, of an elder statesman in the scene, for lack of a better term, is uh, when I've got the other type of message, I do try and at least say, look, this is maybe not right, the sorry, right man. way. What can can you just give like a rough example of like what the not right, what is not the right type of message? Yeah. Like? So, I, for instance, if I get a message at say. 11 p.m. on a Saturday night that just says, hey, bro, can I get a set at school is question mark. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or uh, any sets going subtle. at Cherry, question mark. Subtle. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's fine, but yeah. that's not making a positive impression. That's just saying, yeah, you know, skip. I'm not going to message the people at Tomorrowland and say, hey, can I have a gig? <laughs> that's, not, <laughs> that's not really how it works, right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, you know, in that sense, I've really tried to at least give a little bit of feedback because you don't know what you don't know sometimes, right? And it depends how you sort of cut, cut yourself into the scene. So I'll try and at least offer a little bit of feedback and say, hey, man, um, thanks for the message. Um, you know, we're not looking for anybody at the moment, but come into the club and have a chat sometime and, you know, we'll start from there. Or of the more you know, a direct messages, uh, sort of say, hey, man, this is not really how you go about it. Here's a few ways in future if you want to do it. You know, like oh, I so said, actually, it's like a job interview. Yeah, so um, you not not call it out, but you actually, because a lot of people just wouldn't reply to that. Yeah. I mean, look, I'll, I'll, I'll try to. I mean, there's the odd one that, you know, just falls through to yeah, the yeah, requests yeah. and the way No, the I, just way find it, I just find it interesting that you actually say, hey, like, you know, this isn't necessarily how I think you should go about it. Like you actually give feedback. Yeah. Like as if someone, if I did the wrong thing there, I'd actually be very grateful that someone said that, hey, probably don't mesh yeah. me like this, you know? I mean, it's the hindsight of being older, right? Being in your mid-30s. Yeah. When I was yeah. 20, 
like uh, I will admit, like I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about, you know, yeah, I didn't I was, know how I to was, present myself so, or anything. So, yeah, for sure. So, <laughs> you know, for someone to say to no me, offense when to I twenty was year old, 20, sorry. <laughs> and look, look, I when I was when I was twenty, I did the same thing. Yeah, like, I yeah, remember yeah. Um, messaging. I reckon it was people at Mojo West. Um, yeah, they were like, "Hey, I'd love a set." Never heard back from them. But yeah, it if wasn't. The- the right way to go about it. So no, fair point, if, fair point, and we all do it. Yeah. So if I can try and at least help a couple of people hmm. uh, to go, okay, maybe I should do it this way, and it ends in a positive outcome for them. Yeah. Then something's good has come from, you know, a cold DM <laughs> to me. Yeah. No, no, it's 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 cool to hear, man. Especially going, you know, as if uh, giving that feedback would be invaluable to a twenty-year-old. I would imagine if I had that when I was th- that age coming up. Um, I would have found that very, very useful. Yeah, um, if they, if they choose to take it as well, of course, of course. You know, the, the, you'll always have people that you know have it all figured out at the age of twenty. But yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Part of part of what I try to do now in a lot of my position is just to try and help people along a bit. And you know, you get a bit older and you want to leave things better than where where it started. And I keep mm. thinking back to the the you know. The Dylan of eighteen, who couldn't get a gig anywhere, and I don't want that for other people. You know, there is a lot of work and there's a lot of opportunity out there, but you need to prove yourself before people hand you the keys to any sort of residency, whether that's uh, a prime time set or whether that's you know eight to nine pm to nobody, while half the people are still having dinner in the pub. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just find that interesting that, you know, like you have that kind of mindset sort of thing. And is is that because of, you know, you had challenges coming up and then you you would like to help others? Is there a reason that you have an actual interest in helping others coming up? Because a lot of people, you know, don't need to do that. They can they just want to do their own thing, which mm. is also fine as well. But I always find it interesting when people are kind of going out of their way to help others in situations like that. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a few things. So mm. definitely, as I said, you know, having the challenges and frustrations at an early age of wanting to work in nightclubs or venues or festivals or you know just residency lineups with other people that you look up to as DJs uh, and the setbacks associated with that. Mm. You know, if I'm now in a position where I can open up opportunities and doors for people, I'll certainly try and do it. Mm. You know, the luxury of knowing a lot of people in a lot of different venues that run rosters, and I can always recommend people, even if it's not at a venue that I'm involved in. Mm. And more often than not, those people go, cool, we'll look into so-and-so. But it's part that, it's part, um, you know, just seeing how some young people haven't been shown the ropes in that that way Mm. of the right ways to present yourself you know what's the what's the key areas that are going to take me to that next level of being a resident yeah it's not always necessarily self-promotion or i've got you know two hundred thousand people on tiktok you should book me or i've got you know all these followers on instagram and all this and that that isn't that is semi-important yeah but it's not in my opinion anyway the reason that you get booked for things mm. the the way you present yourself as a professional artist 
and your skill set and your ability to perform and read a crowd is what will get you the gig. All of those other extra things like your social media game, it all adds to the base fundamental skills that you should have. If you don't have those fundamental skills where you can say that you're an absolute animal on the decks, yeah, right? Mm. Having, you know, 50 TikToks, it doesn't replicate to work. Yeah. It doesn't it sometimes it does. Like if you're mm. if you're a really, you know, hot out the gates viral sensation in some of the content that you're producing, you'll certainly get opportunities, but the long the longevity of being a resident in venues and working, you know, three, four nights a week over what I've been lucky to do 16, 17 years now. Yeah. If you don't have that base, it's never going to come. Yeah. So kind of the the long game approach. Cause it's yeah, with social media these days, it's that's what I've noticed from my point of view. It's very much and I get caught up in it too. Like my, whether it's my ego and me or whatever is like, damn, like it's, it's all about the following. And then you're looking at someone else who has like major following and blah, 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 blah. And, and you kind of wonder, like, should I just pay for followers or something? Like, you know. <laughs> but no, but like in that sense that like, these are the thoughts that cross your mind. And I think with a bit of musical integrity and whether it aligns with what you're trying to do and stuff, nothing against if people have done that. But um, I don't know. I, the point that I'm trying to make is uh, like with the social media game, sometimes you do wonder it's all about this or that being the following. Mm. And it's interesting point that you make that, yes, it can play a part. I imagine particularly for branding and stuff and exposure and stuff, but for the long game, it's about, um, how do you say for the long game? Yeah. It's, it's a difficult thing to navigate and balance as an artist, yeah. because, mm. you know, a DJ and a producer is, you know, they have to be so many different, have to wear so many different hats at once you have to be you know, a social media influencer you have to be a marketing manager you have to be a, a business self-growth operator you have you to need be an, to actor, be an accountant to, all yeah, of these things to, yeah, crazy. And, you know i've certainly found a challenge over the years in balancing all of that mm. and the only way that i've been able to navigate it is you know there's got to be a compromise somewhere so for me yes. you know i'll i'll upload stuff to instagram but i'm certainly not nowhere near as you know uh consistent as i probably should be mm. and you know my following's probably been hampered because of it but mm. for me in a positive way it's because i don't have time because i'm doing gigs yeah at right? so yeah yeah so oh. you know there's there's a balancing act that needs to be struck there you know Definitely. uh somebody like a graham farmer from data transmission he's got an awesome um uh youtube channel content and things that he produces which really helps young artists with tips and tricks about how to be um relevant in social media and those mm. sort of things are great but again it depends what your goals are if your goal as a DJ is, I just want to be viral, that's great. Mm. You know, if that's what you want to do, absolutely go for it and form your strategy around that. For me, my goal was always, I just want to work heaps. I want to be able to pay my mortgage and, yeah. you know, not live off two-minute noodles if I don't have to. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm. But yeah, it's it's one of those things. It's, it's it is a difficult one because, and I do feel for a lot of young DJs and producers because you know I, I've got a luxury where I'm older, right? I'm in my mid thirties, so when I started, it wasn't as 
such a prominent thing that you had to be on TikTok, Instagram, uh, Facebook, everything other threads, it, you name it, everything under the sun in order to stay relevant. It was for me, it was just, you know, do some mixtape, do some edit packs, try and get some followers on SoundCloud, link that to promoters, and then you're off to the races. Yeah. Now you've probably got a lot of young artists who are thinking, you know, what's more important to me is trying to connect to people through social media or doing gigs or mm. trying to push myself as an original artist and go through that whole uh, journey of challenges, which I know you go through you mm. know, even now of mm. yeah. how do I cut through as an original artist in this digital world? It's, it's a lot to navigate. So I do feel for yeah. um, the, the next generation. There's a lot that they had to deal with that I never had to. Yeah, I guess, but the the generation before before us would have said the same thing. It just it's the way it goes, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but it, it is a wild kind of world we live in, and trying to navigate that social media beast. Obviously, personally, I've like found it quite quite a challenge to navigate. Is probably the best way I'd explain it. Um, I don't know what's worked for me is because I have every. There's so many times I have that thought in my head is like stuff this. I just want to write the bloody music, right? <laughs> But that the reality is, is the world we live in, it's 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 more than that, you know, and mm. to be successful as an artist, you can still be an artist. But I try to, I'm very much a guy that's like two birds with one stone. So I'm like, and that's how I always do things. If I've got to do it, I'm going to make, you know, rather than trying to get blood out of a stone, I'm going to try and um, make more use of it. So I'll, um, how do I explain this? Like uh, I want to grow from it. If I've got to use social media, so be it. I want to be a better person for it, not just like this this person that has to post on socials all the time. I want to make like so I the way I sort of structured me and I'm still developing it, but you know, I want to do posts where I'm giving value and I can share my experience or I'm giving value from putting a mix together and putting that up there. Like it's giving value to your audience rather than this kind of like traditional, like well, what it used to be for me, which was very much, look at me, I'm a cool artist. I made a cool record. Can you go buy my record? Yeah. If that makes sense. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's relevancy and hustle. You know, yes, by, yes. If you know, you've had great success even with just with this podcast, right. Of, <laughs> you know, going, okay, I want to be able to connect with a larger audience. I want to be able yep. to, you know, fill my cup with a bit of, um, you know, networking, yeah, open yep. new doors through making music, but also, you know, connecting with new people in the scene, being able to have great conversations and, you know, grow from those experiences. And that's where a podcast like this is really valuable for you, but then also for other people listening is mm. we can all tune in and pick up things that we might not have been able to learn otherwise. Absolutely. No, definitely. Yeah, it's hard. Oh, it's, it's a wild world we live in these days, isn't it? You know, having thinking <laughs> about it, like COVID and everything. But well, on the music side of things, how's things with music? Because not only, obviously, you're a man of many, many skills. Like you, you're a DJ, you're an MC, you're um, an event coordinator, you're writing records as well, which you've sent to me, which sound great. Like what's the, where's where's the music at with um with your stuff? Yeah, so I've uh, been chipping away at production for probably about five years now yep. or thereabouts. Yeah. Uh, they're sort of commercial house um in melodic house sort of subsector is what i've been into the most uh, mm -hmm. i did the tool room academy production course in 
2022, which was really valuable. Uh, which, one, which, one, which one was that? Because I know so Tool Room, for anyone that doesn't know, obviously it's uh, uh, a record, one of the biggest record labels in the world. I think it was voted number one record label last year, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Like yeah, literally. They're, so they're, they're pushing, <laughs> they're hustling. You know, and they have, um, they also offer mentoring and production lessons and stuff. And they have a selection of, I think there's four of them in particular. Which one was the one that you did? Uh, so I did, uh, I believe it was a 13 week fully inclusive course. And that was with uh, Ben Remember, okay. Pete Griffiths, and Matt Smallcone. Yep. So uh, there was the production certificate course. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was really, it was really valuable for me in personal growth as well as technical skill yeah Uh, for me it was i found challenges over a few years of just you know the the deep quagmire that is youtube video tutorials yeah try you know you you watch a video on ableton production of somebody trying to show you some serum baselines and then you watch the next video and it completely counteracts what you've just been told in the last video sure, so yeah. i found my my you know upskilling really slow and incremental that way yeah uh, so i wanted to have a proper crack at it so you know i look for the best and you obviously pay the money but you have this group um interactive weekly session where they're teaching you everything every aspect of uh from baseline percussion you know audio design mm. um compression everything in between is really fast track you during that 13 14 week period Mm. where you're pretty much making a track by the end of it you've got a reference track and then you're building yourself a track over that 13 weeks and then at the end of it they've got their actual A&R label team will do uh, live feedback for you with your track submission and what's really valuable about that course is you've had people that have done that course and then their track has literally been signed to tool room at mm. the end of it mm. so you can see people who go on this journey from being a relative novice to having a track on you know the number one label in the world which is pretty yeah. crazy to think of so yeah, that wild. was a real valuable experience for me yeah. uh since that time i've been chipping away the the challenge that i find for me personally mm. uh is just life balance yeah you know i've i've got a wife i've got a kid uh i've mm. managed cherry managed schoolies i've got a day job in the cruise industry as well so all of those things um, impressive. impressive. I probably, I reckon, I've got about a couple hours a week. So it's yeah. been, it's been tough to sort of get on the door and chip away at a bit. I've got some some projects that I'm I'm cooking, so yeah. I'll certainly send those over to you once they're done. But uh, the good thing, at least, about being busy is, and you and I have chatted about this quite a lot with my music, is only through doing can you refine what your production style actually is. Yes, you know. I think everybody as a young producer, which is certainly me, is you're thinking the first track that I'm going to make is going to get signed to this label. Literally, the first thing that I make is going to be the chart topping number one. Mm. The reality is you upgrade from being shit to average to not bad to okay, back to average, back to okay, (laughs) and then you're half decent. (laughs) So that's a really incremental journey. And for me... The good thing about making the tracks that I've made, I haven't even put them out. They're just tracks mm. for me uh, to send around to people like yourself to get some feedback of, mm. you know, I'm trying to get better. 
you know, what do I need to do here? What's sounding off? What net, what's missing sort of thing is that'll help slowly, incrementally build up those credits in the bank of what I'm trying to do and just something I'm trying to get better at. So, yeah. you know, I've got different goals to other people in regards to music. You know, sure. there's, there's people out there really hustling like yourself who really want to be at a global stage and, mm. you know, making a, a really prominent impact in the scene. And I look forward to seeing uh, your continued rise with that. For me, uh, I would probably be honest at this stage, I'll just be making tunes that I'm proud that I've been able to achieve those. Yeah, man. And whether that's something that I just put up on SoundCloud for free, put up on Spotify to stream, or if there is opportunity in the future where a label says, yep, we want to give you the nod and sign that, then it's something that I can go, you know, I made that from nothing and it's something that I've achieved. So just a bit of a egotistical self-fulfillment <laughs> more than right. anything. Oh, man, I love it. That's such a good mindset yeah. to have. And it is what you make it and what your goals are. But, like, you've got yeah. that kind of, like, learner that learner mentality of, like, look, I just want to get better. And I could hear it. Every time you send me a record, I can hear the, like, significant improvements and stuff like that. But And you made a good point that production is, is you know, is very much like the way you described it. You know, you kind of shit. You get a little bit better. You get decent. You make something cool. Then you get shit again. Like, it's – yeah. It's like very up, down, up, down, peaks and troughs, you know. And mm. but each bit, if you looked, if you zoomed out, when in doubt, zoom out, you can just sort of see there is like it is going ascending, you know. Um, yeah. if you put if you're putting the work in, from my point of view, I think that is definitely true. Some of the best advice that I got um from the touring guys, which I still try and really think to whenever I'm making stuff, is you just need to settle on a set style. So, mm. you know, particularly when I first started, like I had these these grand ideas of, you know, because my my influences are quite broad. Like I love everything from Panau to Nora Impure to yeah. uh, Dombreski to Siege to yeah, Casey yeah. Lights. And yeah. there's a lot in there to digest. But the yeah. overlapping arch that I see is I quite like melody-based production yep. and also percussion-based tech house. Mm. So trying to meld those two things together is is a challenge and the, but the problem that i was facing when i first started was i also love this sort of you know 80s keys like the dx7 and mm. you know the jupiter 8 and bringing in those 80s sounds but i'm not focusing on one style i'm trying to invent a style mm. but i'm not to the level where i'm good enough to do that <laughs> so just sticking to a style and making a record that is, you know, you pick a reference track and go, I want to make something in this galaxy. That's probably one of the biggest takeaways I had from the course. Yes. Yeah. Don't try and make a half, you know, uh, a Juna Deep and half spinning record because neither label are going to want to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, pick pick a label. You've talked to me about that as well. You know, pick something that's within a wheelhouse that you want to narrow in on mm. and refine the sound to make it yours but it needs to fit within a genre that they're going to want to even listen to. If it's something yep. that their A&R department's going to go like, you know, this is this sounds like the weekend, this is mm. not suitable for tool room, mm. then, you know, you need to realign what your goals are with your production. And only when I started to do that did I see a, a good step up in 
my actual production. So the most recent song that I sent you mm. was based on uh, my reference track was Mark Knight's It's a Wonder. And yep. it was a really chill, almost Afro house type production, but I tried to keep it within that galaxy. I didn't try and bring in all these synths and mm. things that would have disguised what I was trying to execute with the music. So, mm. yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a nice challenge to face. When I've got a bit of time, hopefully I'll get back and be able to Dude. crack on to the, oh, bro. the uh, many, many projects that are 35% done in my yeah. save folder. Please do, man, for my just yeah. like because I everything you sent me was great, you know, and yeah. like I could hear there's so much potential in the records you were writing. So definitely from just from my point of view, I'd I encourage you to definitely keep doing that. Yeah, um, I'll but, have a chat. I'll have yeah. a chat to the boss and tell him to not give me so many hours so I have a bit of time to work on it. <laughs> oh, well, I take my hat off to you because you're a very, very busy man with a hand and a lot of pies and you seem to do it all. Everything you do is you do it very well as well. Um, and you still have time to. I find that when you're busy, sometimes if you get too busy, you can uh, sometimes not be rude, but because you're so busy, you don't have time for the little nuances of helping or, you know, going out of your way to help someone. And you still yeah. always make time for that, especially when I've asked you for advice or help. You've always gone out of your way to help me. So I think that kudos to you, man. No, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, it's, look, self-admittedly, I have too much on my plate, but I <laughs> I, under, I understand coming out of COVID when yeah. everything went away that I'm not somebody that likes to be idle hands. Yeah. And I'm still trying to figure out the life balance side of things. You know, we, mm. we find, you know, many people I'm sure could relate in the DJ industry, but just in busy jobs in general that, when you work a lot, sometimes the friendships and connections get a little bit paused mm. and put to the side, which is, you know, a shame and certainly something that I'm trying my best to be better at. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a it's a struggle, man. It's uh, it's one of those things. You know, yeah. I almost need a personal assistant, like uh, my wife Chloe. I almost need her to step in and just say, right, uh, your appointment schedule is reach out to Paul and check in how he's going then do your invoicing and then do your tax yeah. and then do your gigs and then, you know, everything in between. Yeah, man. It's funny you say that because I literally did that with my missus just the other day. Like, <laughs> like, like I was like, look, I can't, you know, I was getting flustered or whatever. I was getting a bit too much. And I was like, with thinking about content and I've still got to be creative and write records, yada, yada, yada. So, like we're all having these problems, right? And she was like, all right, no worries. Grabs the whiteboard and like literally planned out my month. This is when you're going to do content. This is when you're going to do this. This is when you're going to do that. I was like, thanks, babe. I'll buy you breakfast. Like, <laughs> like yep. you know, but definitely an assistant to some extent. Yeah. Behind every good DJ is a good woman or man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Oh. I'm, it's funny. Like I'm, I like to think I'm pretty organized in my work, but I'm just a shambles in everything else. Like. Mm. Mm. I can't find my keys, can't find anything, <laughs> forget Bro. that I've got these appointments. and We're, we're so uh, similar, it's not funny. Like, it's yeah. just, just preaching to the <laughs> choir, man, because you've got so much going through your head. Like, you wake up in the morning, i got to do this, this, and this. And then, like, yeah. for a period, I was like, do I have dementia? Like, <laughs> I, was like <laughs> I was like, no, I'm pretty sure it, it's just because you've got bloody too much on your plate, mate. Like, <laughs> yeah. Too many vodka Red Bulls over the years for me. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man. No, that's oh, that's funny, man. But how, how do you find the work, the balance for yourself? Because I know certainly one thing, you know, I spoke about me with just having time in an Ableton or yep. you know, for you, you know, FL Studio or what 
Logic, mate. Using. Come on, don't Logic. go throwing around bloody FRL Studio around I'm me. Just, no, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> shout out to FRL Studio. Yeah, no, they're fine. I just... <laughs> yeah, because I, I know for me... Um, it's a time thing. So as you get better as a as a producer, you can get things going much quicker, right? Something yep. that might take me five hours, you could do in forty five minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen um, uh, you know Siege and Kasim like they've made a track in forty minutes, start yeah. to finish, and yep. it just blows my mind. But how do you find that as a balance from your end? Because I know you know you've got. I'm sure you've let your listeners know that you've you've got quite a full on job as well that you do throughout the week and a lot of interests and stokes in the fire it's so one thing that helped me a little bit was to know that balance there is no real such you can to some extent there's no such thing as balance for me like a mentor told me because like if you choose to do certain things you're going to miss out on others like it's everyone like i was i'd stress myself out because i'd be trying to have this kind of like if you put it in like um a graph with columns everything has equal amounts and it doesn't really work like that. If you put more in work into something else, like your, whatever your endeavors are with music, et cetera, you're probably going to have to do less social stuff like, you know, hanging out with friends and blah, blah, blah. If you want to hang out with friends more, there's going to be, it's going to dip and you're going to get less music. So you got to one, just acknowledging that was a huge thing for me, but then obviously being an organized person, there is no way around it. I need to use like Google, um, calendar and I need to punch everything in. And if I don't do it, I'll usually forget things. You know, it could be something simple, like forget my keys, or it could be like, shit, I didn't, I forgot I had a podcast today, you know, <laughs> or I had, I hadn't prepared. And so getting organized was the other thing. And um, I'm still navigating that. Like I'm always trying to learn and be better. This is why I'm a huge believer in um, learning. Like particularly like if, if you want to get, uh, more music done. I think there's always an element where you should be trying to upskill. So learning from people that are either doing what you want to do above you or can help you in that way. So mentoring is a huge one. Um, and always reflecting on my musical process too, not being too stuck in it. That's a, another huge thing that kind of helped me. Um, cause I, I think just from experience, there was a period there when I started getting to a point where I could write the records that I wanted to make, you know, like I started making songs that were getting played by big A-listers and I was like, sick, I've done it. And I kind of put rest almost to some extent rested my hat on the production skills. Like I I put my hat up. I was like, cool. I'm just going to write cool records now. And then I found that I, whether I plateaued or got, I felt like I almost to some extent got worse, you know, like, and um, my music really suffered and I wasn't writing as, as efficiently as I could. So definitely learned constantly trying to learn in that sort of thing. Does that Mm. answer your question? Yeah, for sure. And uh, I know in my, you know, business learnings that what you spoke to is a term called the opportunity cost. Yes, uh, yes. And that's pretty relevant in this sense, I think. So opportunity yes. cost being is, you know, it, it's not just about I'm going to do this instead of this, but what do I lose by doing it? So, mm. you know, a perfect example is, you know, one thing that, has been a challenge for me, which I've really since COVID decided I'm not going to miss out anymore is as a DJ, there's an opportunity cost in missing out on a lot of life events because you've got gigs on. Yes. So I've missed countless weddings, birthdays, engagement parties. Yeah. uh, And that's an opportunity cost that you're not going to get back, you know, Mm -hmm. because those fulfillment opportunities of, you know, going to your mate's, 
30th and staying there and having that night with them mm. is there's a cost there because I'll say I can stay till nine o'clock and then I've got to go head into town because I start work. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, man. in that sense, it's a, there's a real uh, push and pull of priorities of what fills your cup versus a career. So mm. for me, in many ways, there's, you know, I, I had the wrong approach of what my opportunity cost was for many years because while mm. I should have been going to so-and-so's wedding and staying at the reception and, you know, dance and having a great time, in my mind, the opportunity cost was, well, if I go to the wedding all night, I'm going to miss out on this amount of money. Yeah. Which is probably the, in certainly in hindsight, it's the wrong approach. There's a balance to be struck there of, mm. you know, you're right in what you say that there is no real balance, but I guess it's just finding something that works for you. Yes, and definitely. certainly for me now that I'm a little bit older with, you know, young family and wife, et cetera. Of course. Um, things like realigning what my goals are today are probably very different to what they were five years ago. You yeah. know, five years ago, I was really trying to knock on the door uh, to be signed at an agency. Yeah. And yeah. to be uh, uh, somebody that gets booked around the country. Yeah. Because, you know, in my asset draw, being an MC, being an open format DJ, to play anything from R&B, hip-hop, commercial, dance, electro, house, party, retro, mm. you name it, mm. there's a skill there that not everybody has. And mm. being able to refine that over years and be an entertainer, that's what makes me different, I think, to anybody else. Mm. But realigning my goals, I don't necessarily want that anymore because mm. the opportunity cost will be too big. I'll be away from my little three-year-old boy for you know, a whole weekend away from my wife, away from, you know, home, the comfort of the couch, you know, those yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. things. Yep. There's a balance that's uh, to be struck there. So as long as I guess you can find something that works for you and mm. that you're happy with and you can have your cup filled at the end of the day, it's probably the most important thing that you should be working towards. Yeah, that's a great point, man. Yeah, on that note of balance, yeah, I think you go a step further in the sense that well, the way I do it these days is like I used to probably – kick myself a lot be like oh now i've missed these opportunities but now i kind of just i might do a more of like a two for one so every time i say no to something then i'll all right, i'm due to say yes and i'll go to that it's a bit more of like a, a same as you like i realigned realign what i'm doing and where i want to go and i do want to have a bit more social stuff and and that whereas when i was 21 and, and coming up through the dj scene i um, resonated a lot with what you just said with like missing i missed a lot of 21sts at the time you know I don't necessarily re regret it because, you know, at the time that was different to my values, right? Like yep. I wanted to grind and I wanted to be a DJ and, you know, I, st I still do to some to some extent. But I've, me personally, I've skewed it a little bit more as like, all right, come on, let's have a bit of, live a bit of life too, you know, don't, you don't always have to be, <laughs> there's the, I don't know, it's, it's difficult for people that are um, uh, driven right mm -hmm. which is everyone yeah. that comes on the podcast is driven to some extent because we're all trying to do cool things and it's hard to 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 go to have that balance when you're driven you know because you have like yes you have the opportunity cost and you, me personally i feel guilty like because mm -hmm. yes i did this but then i missed out on this and blah 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 yeah, <laughs> just yeah it's it's hard man like like you're saying driven people um you know i i'm talking out of both sides of my face because you know i say that i'm trying to be better in balancing that 
Mm. And coming coming into Christmas and New Year's, there'd been a really busy time. So we'd mm. come off working on cruise ships for uh, about a month and come straight into doing gigs. And over Christmas and New Year's, as you know, that's a very busy time. Mm. So coming out of New Year's, I thought to myself, right, I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to chill out a little bit. I'm going to do some extra things, go play some golf, you know, have a bit of a life. And then in checking my roster and just doing some promo of my January and February dates, got 35 gigs for January and February. So I went, okay, so (laughs) that's not really going to line up with my expectations. That's a lot of gigs. It is a lot of gigs. So Mm. it's it's a hard thing to balance. And, you know, Mm. like you say, being a, a driven and motivated person, uh, like you mentioned, all the people that come on your show, uh, there's an element there, which I'm sure you share as well of, you know, we're in the golden years now, yes. you know, do it while you can, because there'll be yeah. an age where we're too old, nobody cares, we're not relevant, or yeah. literally the body doesn't hold up anymore. So, so at yep. least you gave it a crack and like a, like a sportsman, you left it all out there and there's nothing that, you know, you, you don't have any regrets to say, I should have done this or I could have done this. I love that, brother. It really resonates with me. Well, um, I don't want to take on too much of your time because I know we could just kind of keep going on and on because yeah. I always love chatting to you, man. But what, I, what I'd like to do to um, finish off our discussion is I usually go, you know, what would you offer advice would you offer to your younger self? But I think, you know, we've, we've touched a lot on that and you're welcome to answer that question if you like. But I'd actually like to ask you, you know, what is a quote that, you that resonates with you that you maybe helps you in times of need or that you live your life by you know what is a quote that kind of resonates with you that you could leave for our listeners and um for us to maybe discuss in the next um episode with the next guest yeah sure so i think um one thing that's really quite important for anybody is if you if you're going to go for something like if you're going to be a dj put everything into being a DJ. You know, there's a lot of people who say they want to do it, but they don't want to put the work in or put the steps in to mm. have that skill base, to have the the right music collection. Um, you know, they want to rip tracks off YouTube or they just, you know, and they wonder why it's an error message when they load it on the CDJ, like those sort of things. Like if you're going to do it, do it properly. So mm. there's a there's a quote that uh, just popped straight into my head, which is a bit of a bit of a silly one, but it's one that I do take pretty seriously, and I do think back to quite a lot. And it's from um, the TV show Parks and Recreation. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. with Ron Swanson, and it's a, a quote that says, um, "Don't half-ass two things; just whole-ass one thing." <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, there is you know some irony there because. I do a lot of things, but I would like to think that whatever I am doing, I'm putting my all into it. Yeah. So I'm not, you know, going into a gig, going through the motions, haven't done any new music prep in a month, and I'm just going to play whatever, not yeah. read the dance floor, just play what I want to play, and I don't give a shit about anybody else. Every opportunity, if you're a DJ, if you're grinding, if you're learning, if you're upskilling, whatever that is, you put everything into it. You know, it is a culminative effect. You know, things will come from them. They might not take 10 minutes. It might not take six months, but they do come. Mm. And so that's one that sticks out to me quite prominently. I love that, brother. Thank Mm. you. Thank you for sharing that. Well, man, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Music Maker Podcast. Where can people find you? 
Yeah, so they can follow me on socials, uh, either on Facebook, on Instagram, just DJ Manoff. Uh, yep. They can look me up. And, um, yeah, uh, as I said, you know, if anybody wants any advice or anything like that, if I can help with anything, of course, just flick us a message. I'm open to anybody. Awesome, brother. Well, thank you, man. And um, we'll, we'll see you next time, guys. Thanks, Flash. Thank you for listening to the Music Maker podcast. If you liked the show, feel free to share this episode or leave a review. You can also personally reach out to myself on Instagram and let me know your thoughts at Flash89Music.